Well, let me invite you to open your Bibles uh, with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll take a break in our studies from the uh, book of Acts and uh, look at more of a Reformation passage this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 1, and I'll read down through verse 10, but we'll be focusing primarily on verse 5. But I want to read it in its context so you get the flow of the passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And as I read this passage for you, I remind you that this is the inspired Holy Word of God. So please give careful attention to the reading of God's inspired truth. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. In coming to Him, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. But you... Referring to the church, believers made up of Jews and Gentiles within the church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And may God bless the reading of His Word. I want you to turn back and look again, particularly at verse 5, as Peter addresses his thoughts to the church and describes them. He's just described Christ as a living stone in verse 4. Rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. And now he addresses the church, the believers, and describes them as who they are because of their relationship to Christ. He says in verse 5, But you also, as living stones, are built up, being built up as a spiritual house. So number one, we are a spiritual temple. We are a spiritual house, which definitely has reference to the temple of the living God. 
Paul emphasizes that in another place. We are the, the new covenant temple of the living God. And then notice what he adds, for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're also a holy priesthood. And we offer spiritual sacrifices. And then look at verse 9. Again, addressing the church, he describes them as a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That not only are you priests, you're also kings. You're a part of the royal family as well. You're a royal priesthood and a holy nation. A a people for God's own possession. So that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. One of the great doctrines of the New Testament that was recovered in the Protestant Reformation because it had been lost by the Roman Catholic Church is the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer. So that every believer in Jesus Christ is a priest. So if you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a priest. Now I'm not going to necessarily call you a priest. But you are a priest by definition, by in terms of the new covenant priesthood, you are priests. And it's not just restricted to men, it's men and women are both priests in the new covenant. Because there's neither male nor female within the body of Christ, at least in terms of our standing. We know there's differences in function, but there's, in terms of our spiritual standing, there's no difference. So both men and women, every believer is a priest. Martin Luther once wrote in his commentary on 1 Peter that in describing believers, he says, quote, this word priest should become as common as the word Christian. For all Christians are priests. So you're a priest. And this is an incredible honor that we should be called priests of the living God. That we should be a holy priesthood. A royal priesthood. This is such an incredible honor and a privilege that you and I have because of our calling as priests. And it also signifies something as to the nature of our worship and our ministry when we understand that we are priests unto God. This is quite an amazing thing. Now, the reason why this was recovered by the Protestant reformers, Martin Luther and others, is because that truth had been tucked away and hidden by the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church had hijacked many of the good names to refer to all believers, priests being one of them. And what they did is they took that word priest and they now assign it to a special elite group of men within the church. The clergy. A certain part of the clergy now become the priests with these special privileges and special powers, which is totally unbiblical. But also they they stole the name saint, which all of us are saints. But they also took that name and applied it to just a few very special believers, super Christians, if you will, who die and attain the level of sainthood. 
And sadly, when they stole these names that belonged to all of God's children and hoarded them up and used them only to refer to the elite within the church, they embraced a totally unbiblical, without any warrant in Scripture, doctrine of the priesthood within the Roman Catholic Church. That doctrine, that teaching was a perversion and a gross misapplication of the Levitical priesthood of the Old Covenant, which was clearly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But that's really kind of what you get whenever you elevate man-made traditions over Scripture. And that's what they were doing. And so when the Reformers went back to the Word of God, they began to see, wait a second... All believers are priests. Not just a select few within the church who had special privilege and power. All believers are priests. And that's what we mainly want to be meditating on this morning. The Roman Catholic Church, when they created this category of the clergy who who alone hold the office of priests, they also made them mediators. That a priest was a mediator between God and man. So that now for us to have really access to God, we had to go through a a human mediator. We had to go through the priest. And they believed that these uh, priests were mediators because as a priest within the Roman Catholic understanding, they had the ability to offer a real sacrifice. And that's what qualified them to be a priest. Because they offered a real sacrifice, just like the Old Testament priests did. Now, their real sacrifice was, uh, took place during the Mass. When the priest, in the midst of that service, would pronounce a blessing on the, the, the cup and the bread, that that would miraculously be transformed through the process they called transubstantiation, And the bread would actually become the body of Christ. And the cup would actually become the blood of Christ by a miracle of transubstantiation. The outward elements of the the bread and the cup remained the same. It still looked like bread. It tasted like bread. It felt like bread. But the inner essence actually became the real body and blood of Jesus Christ. And during the Mass, that is sacrifice. So it's a, in their mind, they are offering a real sacrifice. Not figuratively, not symbolically. They're offering the real blood and body of Christ. So that qualifies them and them alone to be priests. And the second thing that qualified them to be priests in their mind and their teaching is that the priests have the right to hear the confessions of the people and they have the power to forgive the sins or, or, or not forgive those sins. And that was the prerogative of the priest. The Council of Trent actually went so far to say, if you deny this, that our view of the priest who has the ability to consecrate and offer the actual body and blood of Christ, and that the priest if you disagree that the priest also has the ability to forgive or not forgive sins, then that is anathema. That's what they said in the Council of Trent. So they're very committed to this idea. We have our set of priests 
Nobody else is priests on that level. They have this special unction, this special power, this special privilege. They have a, a unique group of men who alone were priests. They were the mediators. You had to go through them to get to God in effect. Through the Mass and through the confession of sin. Well, the Reformers came to the Scriptures and they read verses like 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And they concluded clearly that that Jesus Christ is the one and only mediator. We don't need another man to be a mediator between us and God. Christ is that one and only mediator. All we need is Christ. He's the perfect sinless man. He sacrificed Himself on the cross and bore all of our sins and perfectly satisfied the justice and the wrath of God for us. He did everything that is needed for our salvation. He is the only mediator we need. We don't need any other men to try to make themselves out to be mediators. We don't need any other mediator other than God's one and only mediator, Jesus Christ. And the Reformers, therefore, based upon that truth, rejected many, many of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. So once you embrace solus Christus, that is Christ alone, you only need Christ for salvation. He's the only mediator that God has established between us and men. Once you embrace solus Christus, Christ alone, then suddenly, you don't need a Pope. So they began to disagree and reject the doctrine of the Pope. You don't need a treasury of merit produced by Mary and the saints. You don't need the merit of your own good works because you don't have any. And Christ's work satisfied all of God's demands. They rejected the doctrine of indulgences. They rejected the mediation of Mary and the saints. We don't need them. They rejected all the other sacraments that the Roman Catholic Church taught other than baptism and the Lord's Supper. They rejected the doctrine of transubstantiation, the Mass as a sacrifice of Christ again. They rejected their doctrine of purgatory, their doctrine of praying for the dead, their, their doctrine of you've got to go and confess your sins to a priest, and limiting the Eucharist where the, only the priest drinks the wine, the people only get the bread. They rejected all of that because it's unbiblical. They embraced Christ alone, solus Christus. And part of that great truth is that because Christ is our high priest, we become priests as well. They began to see in Scripture that we don't need a special category of priests in the church. We're all priests unto God. And so they began to embrace this priesthood of all believers. So for us to understand our priesthood in the New Covenant, we really need to quickly review the Old Testament and how this concept of the priesthood developed. Actually, we can go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve had immediate and continual access to the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. Adam was kind of like a a perfect priest. He wasn't actually called a priest, 
But a priest has access to the presence of God. That's one of the fundamental privileges of a priest. And Adam and Eve had that in the garden. God was there with them. They had perfect fellowship with God. They had perfect worship of God. And they served God. Adam as he worked the ground. That was part of his ministry. And all of that took place within the temple, if you will, of the Garden of Eden. The temple is wherever God dwells. And God dwelt there. So in a sense, He was a perfect priest. And Eve would have participated in that as well. But then they sinned. And when they sinned, they lost that intimate relationship with God and they fell under the curse of death. They broke the covenant of works. And the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that day you will die. And they broke God's commandment. They violated the covenant of works. And they sinned. And because of that, their relationship was now estranged from God. They lost that fellowship and that relationship with God. But it was God's plan to eventually completely and perfectly restore fallen man back to his original position as priest who had an intimate and continual access to the presence of God. But because men were now sinful, men must first be redeemed before they could be restored as priests again. So God in mercy promised to Adam and Eve as He was pronouncing a curse on the serpent that one day He would raise up the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. And the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent and reverse the curse of sin. And this great promise was portrayed and outwardly exhibited when God took those two animals and sacrificed them and took their skins and clothed Adam and Eve. Because they begin to understand and connect the dots that the seed of the woman who would not only crush the head of the serpent would also cover our nakedness and cover uh, what sin has brought upon us so that we can have a right standing with God again. And they begin to see the work of the coming mediator, the work of the coming Lamb of God in the seed of the woman that was promised. And so God began to reveal to them eventually the way back to that perfect, immediate, continual access and fellowship in the very presence of God. These uh, these great promises that God gave, nevertheless, were pointed forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. That perfect atonement and that perfect restoration had not yet been accomplished. So they were expelled from the temple. They were expelled from the Garden of Eden. And they could never come back in there because God placed the cherubim and the the flaming sword to guard the way back to the tree of life. So now they're banished from God's immediate and perfect presence and fellowship with Him. And so paradise was lost. But as God continues to unfold His promises of redemption... He eventually established, He chose Abraham, and then He chose the nation of Israel to be His his holy people. And He established for Israel a priesthood and a sacrificial system 
that in and of itself could not actually take away their sin, but again pointed forward to the coming of the seed of the woman who would be the sacrificial lamb who would clothe them and forgive them and restore them as priests again. But for Israel, they had a priesthood and they had a sacrificial system. The priesthood was needed because they needed a mediator. As sinners, they did need a mediator between them and God. And so the priests functioned as mediators. And also, they needed a mediator because God's holiness would break out and destroy them because of their sin if they didn't have a mediator. So the priests functioned as that go-between between the sinful nation and the holy God. However, that priesthood for Israel was restricted. Not all the men became priests. Only Aaron and his sons became priests. And their duty was to offer daily prayers and sacrifices to atone not only for their own sin, because they were sinful men, but also for the sins of those within the nation of Israel. They carried out their priestly duties in the holy place. They would trim the wicks of the lampstand. They would offer up the incense before God, before the Holy of Holies. They would replace the showbread every Sabbath day. And only the priest could enter the tabernacle. And only the the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies one day out of the year. But all the rest of the men, you see, were outside. They could not enter into the temple. They could not enter into the tabernacle. Their sin was still blocking them. And God was communicating to them that the only access they have is through a mediator. They have no right to enter into God's presence Only through a mediator can they enter into God's presence. Only through a priest. So God chose Aaron and his sons to make up the first uh, priestly family, if you will. And again, the sons of Aaron, they could not even go into the Holy of Holies. Only Aaron could once a year. The other priests, they could only go into the holy place. They could get close to God, but they couldn't actually get into the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies. Now all these Levitical priests, Aaron and all of his sons, and, and you had to be a son of Aaron to be a priest, they were all flawed mediators. They were flawed. They were flawed because they were sinners themselves who needed atonement and forgiveness for their own sin. And the sacrifices that they brought were flawed. They were animals. And an animal really can't take away our sin. As Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They can't do it. Because an animal doesn't share a nature. It's not an appropriate substitute for the sinner. Because an animal can't take the place of a human who's created in the image of God. And the other problem with these priests is that they they had a tendency to die regularly. And that was a problem. They would get old or they would retire, but they'd eventually die off and you'd have to bring in more priests to replace them. So the priests of the Old Covenant, the priestly mediators, were flawed men who offered a flawed sacrifice and unable to actually reconcile other sinners to God. But... They were a shadow. They pointed forward to the seed of the woman who had become the Lamb of God 
who would be God's one and only perfect mediator. That's Jesus Christ. And so we uh, read of the birth of the Lord. How God the Son came down from heaven and took to Himself a complete human nature except for sin. And He lived a sinless life. If you want to learn about uh, how Christ is our high priest and our mediator, you have to read and study the book of Hebrews. In that one book alone, Christ is referred to as our high priest, our, who is the great mediator, at least ten times. Actually, I think it's eleven times. If you will, turn in your Bibles back to Hebrews chapter 2, just for a moment. Hebrews chapter 2. And let's look at the priesthood of Jesus Christ just for a moment. Because what Aaron and his sons and the Levitical priesthood could not do, because they were sinful men offering inferior sacrifices and unable to maintain their ministry because they kept dying, Jesus Christ comes and perfectly fulfills it all. In Hebrews chapter 2, if you look, for example... At verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same. See, He had to become a man to share our nature, to be our substitute. He partook of the same that through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, He does not give help to angels, but He gives help to the descendant of Abraham. And then look at verse 17. Therefore, He had to be made like His brethren in all things, that He might become what? A merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What does propitiation mean? He removes the wrath of God from our sin. That's propitiation. He propitiated the Father. He made propitiation for who? For the sins of the people. You see, Christ represented His people on the cross just like the high priest of of the old covenant represented the chosen covenant people of God. How do we know that? Because the high priest, what did he wear on his chest? A breast piece, right? And what was on that breast piece? There were 12 stones. And each of the 12 stones had one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. He carried God's chosen covenant people over his heart. And then on his shoulders, he had two onyx stones. And on each onyx stone was written six of the twelve names of the tribes of Israel. So he not only carried them over his heart, he carried them on his shoulders. And on the day of the atonement, the one day out of the year when the high priest could, could actually enter into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, he offered the, the blood of a goat for the sins of the people. And then the second goat, the scapegoat, he came out And he put his two hands on the head of that goat, that second goat. And he confessed over what? All the sins, all the iniquities of Israel. 
No one else, just Israel. And then they carried that goat out into the wilderness as a visual picture of that animal, that sacrifice, taking our sins away, not to be seen ever again. As a high priest only represented God's chosen people, so with Christ. He made a propitiation for the sins of the people. His people. And so you read through the whole book of Hebrews and you get this marvelous understanding of Jesus Christ is now our great high priest. He's the one and only perfect mediator because He had no sin of His own. So He's not like the flawed priest of the Old Covenant. So He could be our substitute because He also had our nature which the animals didn't share. There were flawed sacrifices. And yet, He without sin, being a human, could die in our place and carry our sin and suffer the wrath of God for our sin. And after He died, He rose again. So He's living forever, never to die again. So He fulfills all the imperfections of the Old Covenant priesthood. His great ministry was number one, as our great High Priest, as the perfect man, to offer Himself as the perfect sacrifice and make atonement. So that that fellowship with God could be restored. And then his second great ministry, in addition to atonement, was intercession. Because now he sits at the Father's right hand and he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's always praying for us. Just as the priests were praying and burning the incense, so he was doing that for us. Now it's interesting, there's other allusions to Christ as our high priest outside of the book of Hebrews. One of them is in his baptism. Have you ever wondered, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Why did John have to do it? Because when he came to John the Baptist down at the Jordan River and said, "Uh, baptize me, John says, no, it's not fitting. You're, You're the Lamb of God. I shouldn't be baptizing you. And Jesus said to John the Baptist, no, permit it so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. What's he talking about? Well, you see, before a high priest could enter into his priestly ministries, he had to be consecrated as the high priest. And two things had to happen to the high priest. He had to be fully washed in his body from top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He had to be totally immersed in water and washed. And then secondly, he had to be anointed with oil. And that oil would be just poured over his head. All of his sons got the oil just sprinkled on him. But the high priest, the oil was poured over his head, ran down over his his head and his garments. So when Jesus Christ was baptized, in order to fulfill all righteousness of Him entering His high priestly duties, He had to be totally washed. And that's what His baptism, I think, signified. And then He was anointed by the Spirit of God who descended like a dove down upon Him. And isn't it also interesting that how old was our Lord when He began His earthly ministry? He was about 30 years old because that's when the priest would enter their public ministry as in service as a priest when they were 30 years old. And you see all these little insights uh, 
The priests were the guardians of the purity of the temple. And that's why at the beginning of Christ's ministry, and again at the end of His ministry, He went through and cleansed the temple. He turned over the tables of the money changers. He drove out all those selling the animal. Because that was the function of a priest to guard the purity of the temple of God. So you see all these interesting parallels between Jesus Christ as our high priest and actually the function of the high priest even in the Old Testament. Well, all this leads up now <clears throat> to uh, bring us back to the notion that we are also priests unto God. We're not high priests. We have only one high priest, one mediator, that's Jesus Christ. But John Owen taught in one of his writings that our priesthood is rooted in our union with Christ. Because we are in Christ, our high priest, and He is in us, that we become priests as well. Of course, the difference between our priesthood and Christ's priesthood is that His accomplished salvation, and ours does not contribute anything to our salvation. But it's an important part of our service and ministry in sanctification to know that we are priests. Well, let me ask, are you qualified to be a priest? You are a priest. Are you qualified? Yes, you are. To be qualified as a priest in the Old Testament, you had to be a part of the priestly family. Well, the high priest is your brother. I think that qualifies you. You're a part of the family. So you're qualified to be a priest because of your relationship to the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. To be a priest, you also have to be washed and anointed. And we have been washed and baptized into Christ and anointed by the Holy Spirit. We've received an anointing. We only have the first fruits of the Spirit. Christ was anointed with the fullness of the Spirit because He's God in human flesh and we're not. But nevertheless, we've been washed by the blood of Christ. And that is outwardly demonstrated through water baptism. And also we've been anointed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So we have that anointing as well. But also to be a priest, you have to be properly clothed. The sons of Aaron always wore these beautiful white linen garments which spoke of their holiness. And those garments were made for glory and for beauty. And they wore those garments as an indication of their righteousness, at least outwardly as demonstrated not that they were righteous on the inside, but they had those proper clothes to symbolically indicate the purity and righteousness that they were to stand for. Well, we as priests have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have clothed on us the white garments of His own righteousness, which are for glory and for beauty. So you're qualified in every way. You're part of the priestly family through your relationship with Christ. You've been washed. You've been anointed. You have the right clothes on. The imputed righteousness of Christ has been given to you. And so we are qualified to be priests. So what is our ministry then as priests? What do we do as priests? If we're all priests, what do we do? What is our privilege as a priest? And what is our ministry to be as a priest? Well, our privilege is amazing because now we have direct access into the very presence 
of God. Paul says in Ephesians 2.18, for through Him we both have, both Jews and Gentiles, have our access in one Spirit to the Father. So now we have direct immediate access. In Israel, none of the men had access. They couldn't even enter into the tabernacle. They had to stay on the outside. But we have immediate access into the Holy of Holies because of what our High Priest has accomplished for us. You see, that's when Jesus died on the cross. And right at the the time of His death, when He breathed out His last breath, what happened inside the temple? That veil that divided the holy place from the holy of holies, the inner sanctum where God's presence now, that thick veil that always was like a stiff arm to sinners. Stay back. Don't enter or you will die. Now was ripped in two from top to bottom. God had to do it. And I think it was about 30 feet tall. God ripped it, showing that now that way is open to each and every believer. The veil of the temple was torn, indicating a free access to God's presence through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. So as a priest, one of the great privileges and blessings that you have is that you can have access before the very presence of Almighty God 24-7 at any moment that you want. Just turn your heart to Him in prayer. And you're immediately in His presence. Christ's blood in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20 opened up for us a new and a living way into the very presence of God. Through the veil that is His flesh. So when His flesh was torn, that was a, a, a picture of the veil being torn. So that now there is a new way that our mediator has opened up for us. And again, as you know well, that uh, in the Old Covenant, there's only one man out of the entire nation who had the right to go into the presence of God, and that was the high priest. But he could only go one day out of the year, and no other priest could enter in there. No other Israelite could even enter into the tabernacle. But he, he alone had that, that right, that privilege. But you and I have it all the time now. To actually enter into the very presence of God. That's part of the glory of being a priest. Is that you can enter directly into the presence of God anytime you want to. Through our prayers and praise. Again, in the Old Covenant, it was only the high priest. But for him, it was incredibly dangerous. He was taking his own life in his own hands. Because as a high priest in the Old Covenant, the shadows of what Christ would bring about, his job was the most dangerous job really in the world. You know what the most dangerous job is now? I mean, just in, in, uh, in our society. I, I was interested, I looked it up. It's being a com- commercial fisherman or a logger. There are more people that die in those two professions than any other uh, profession. But for the high priest of Israel... I mean, his chances of death were pretty huge. He probably his uh, life insurance premiums were probably through the roof. 
Because if he didn't do everything just right, he was dead. God would strike him dead. It was dangerous entering into the presence of God as a high priest. For example, if he tried to go into that Holy of Holies any other day than the tenth day of the seventh month, he was dead. He'd be struck down dead. If he didn't wear all the proper clothes of the priest, he was dead. If the tinkling, the little golden bells at the end of his robe weren't tinkling when he was doing his uh, priestly duties, he was dead. God would strike him dead. If he tried to do it being unclean, ceremonially unclean, he would be dead. If he drank wine or strong drink before entering the, the tent of meeting, he would die. If he entered the tent of meeting without first washing his hands and his feet in the laver, he would die. If he didn't first burn incense inside the Holy of Holies before he brought in the blood, he would be struck down dead. If he messed up on the formula of that incense, he was dead. Just ask Nadab and Abihu what happened to them when they offered strange fire in the presence of the Lord. And only when he did all these things right could he first bring the blood of the bull for his own sin and make atonement on the mercy seat and then go back out and bring in the blood of the goat for the, for the nation of Israel. And it was such a dangerous job that uh, I think it was Josephus spoke about the, the tradition that they would tie a rope on the ankle of the leg of the high priest because they figured if he messed up anything, he'd be struck dead. And they're not going to go into the Holy of Holies and get him. So they would drag his dead carcass out because they had that rope tied onto him. I don't know if they actually did that or not. But the contrast in light of their priesthood and their mediation, compare that with Jesus Christ. Perfect mediator. Perfect priest. Perfect sacrifice. So now, every believer has immediate and direct access by faith into the very presence of God. An open door that no one can shut. You don't have to bring blood. You don't have to burn incense to have an audience with God. You don't have to guess a password or you don't have to fight through the angels to get there. We are actually seated with Christ in the heavenlies already. We have that access with God. The veil has been torn asunder. You don't need to make an appointment. There's no restriction time. God doesn't say, okay, your hour's up. You've got to get out. As long as you want to spend in His presence, you can spend it there. You have the Father's full and undivided attention. You need no ID card. It's already been paid. You're already known. He's, he's already inscribed your name upon the palms of His hands. You have access into His presence. What a privilege. And the author of Hebrews says, therefore, because of this, because of what Christ has done, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, what a blessing. What a privilege we have as priests. We can immediately gain the access of the King of kings, the Almighty God, who rules over heaven and earth. And we can bring our petitions and our needs and lay them before Him at any time. And He gives us His undivided attention. What an honor. What a, what a blessing that priests have. And then what about our offerings? Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 2 quickly. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, we're a holy priesthood and we offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
So we offer spiritual sacrifices. That is, our sacrifices are not animal sacrifices, they're spiritual sacrifices. Meaning they're done in and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the nature is spiritual, so it's acceptable and pleasing to the Lord because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Thomas Manton, one of the Puritans, said that our sacrifices are not sin offerings, but thank offerings. So what do we offer up? What are the sacrifices you and I as priests should be offering up to God daily? Well, one of them is a sacrifice of praise. Turn back, if you will, quickly to Hebrews chapter 13. And look at what we read in verse 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Because as a priest, this is what you and I should be doing regularly, daily. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That's our sacrifice, not an animal. It's a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. So we're to praise God. We're to give thanks to God. That's our sacrifice. That's what we're offering up to God. Is our heart's praise and thanksgiving for all of the blessings that we have through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then look on in verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So we offer to God the sacrifice of good deeds. Sharing financially with those in need within the body of Christ and even outside the body of Christ. But we offer up sacrifices of good deeds to be a blessing to other people and be willing to share financially. Paul wrote to the church of the Philippians who supported him financially and he said to them that I've received everything in full and have an abundance and I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You know, when we give money to support missions or ministry or the needs of the saints, it is a fragrant aroma. It is an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. These are our sacrifices. Praise, thanksgiving, good works, sharing from our abundance to those who are in need. And to sum it all up and cap it all off, Paul says in Romans 12, let me tell you what your, really what your sacrifice is. In Romans 12 verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable, God, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So now this is what the priest does. We don't just offer the praise of our lips and of our heart and do good deeds and share with others, but we give our bodies to God. In other words, we dedicate ourselves completely to God and to His service. It doesn't mean everybody goes into the so-called Christian ministry. But we serve God whatever we do, whatever vocation we're in. But we give our bodies to God. All of ourselves to Him. And earlier, Paul could write in Romans 13, therefore don't go presenting the members of your body as to sin 
as instruments of unrighteousness, but to present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members of your body as instruments of righteousness to God. Present your bodies to God. That's exactly what Paul did. He wrote to the Philippians chapter 2 and he says to them that I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I so love God and I so love the brethren that I'm willing to die for you. And I'm being poured out like a drink offering. That was another one of the kinds of offerings that the Old Testament saints did. They took the wine and they poured it out at the altar. They drained it. They emptied it. They gave it all. And Paul says, I'm willing to do that in the service of your faith. See, priests should be willing to die to self, to deny self, in serving Christ and serving others. That's your calling as a priest. That's my calling as a priest. Priests should be willing to do that. So that as Christ was the high priest and also the sacrifice, that's what you and I become in imitating Christ. We become a priest, but we also become the sacrifice. We give all of ourselves to God in service and devotion and love. That's how we imitate our high priest and fulfill our calling as a priest, not just in worship of God, but being willing to present our bodies a living and a holy sacrifice unto God. I think there's a great big difference between just making a contribution where you give a portion and making a sacrifice where you have to give it all. It's kind of like the chicken and the pig story. Chicken comes up to the pig and tells him that the owner wants us to provide breakfast for him and the pig says, well, what does he want? And the chicken says, well, he wants ham and eggs and I'm ready are you and the pig said wait a second for you what is only a contribution for me is a total sacrifice but that's kind of the nature of what we've been called to do as a priest we're not only to worship God and serve God but we serve God by being a sacrifice being willing to sacrifice it all for Christ if called upon to do that. And all of this, these spiritual sacrifices back in 1 Peter 2 are all acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We need to do it in the name of Christ. We need to do it for the glory of Christ. We need to do it in the power of Christ. We need to do it according to the will of Christ. It's only acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's the great glory of it all. Christ gets all the glory ultimately. Because we do it, we, we serve, we sacrifice in the name of Christ and for the glory of Christ. It's all about, it's all about Him. And real quickly, just in, in closing. So as a priest, you have access into the presence of God. You have spiritual sacrifices to offer to God. And we also engage in the ministry of reconciliation.
Because part of the function of the Old Testament priest was to teach the people God's Word. And we need to go out and do the same thing. Remember why 1 Peter 2.9 said about us, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? Why are you that nation? Why are you that priesthood? Why are you that prized possession that God has called you and saved you? Why? So that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So that we can proclaim Him. That's what priests do. By our, by our sacrifices, by our praise, by our access, by our ministry of proclamation, we proclaim Christ. The great high priest. The one and only mediator. And what we tell the world is that they have a Savior in Jesus Christ. They have a high priest who offered Himself also as the Lamb of God who by His own sinless, perfect life could take their place and suffer the wrath of God in their stead. That they have the one and only Mediator who can remove the enmity and reconcile you in peace with the Holy God. But you must receive that gift. You must repent and believe in Christ alone to save you. And then you can know that Savior and know that God because of what Christ has done. So because of our union with Christ, our great high priest, every believer now is a priest. You have been called into the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Not after the Levitical order, but after the order of Melchizedek. But you are now priests unto God. You are qualified because you're a part of His family. You've been washed by His blood and anointed and indwelt by His Spirit and clothed with His own righteousness. You are qualified. You're empowered by the Spirit of God now to carry out your ministry of immediate access. For a priest not to take advantage of the access to God is a travesty. Let us continually enter into God's presence over and over and over again and enjoy the fellowship that we have with the living God. We have the privilege of offering daily sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving and good works and sharing and offering up the incense of prayer that's talked about in Revelation where we burn that holy incense as a fragrant aroma to God as we, as we bring our supplications for our nation, for our friends, our family members, and we confess our sin, but it's the incense of prayer that we offer up to Him. And then finally, we carry forth, as God enables us, the ministry of reconciliation, telling a world lost in sin that the high priest has become the Lamb who is slain. That His blood is sufficient to atone for all of your sins. And you need no one else. You need nothing else other than Jesus Christ, come, believe, and live and receive the gift that no one else can give you but He has promised to. So we are priests. What an honor it is that Christ has bestowed upon you that you're a priest. And let us go forth and by His grace live out our high calling for the glory of our great High Priest 
who saved us by His blood and now sits at the Father's right hand continually praying for His people. Well, maybe he, may He be honored as we serve Him as priests. So let's close in prayer. Our Father, we do thank You, Lord, for this uh, opportunity to focus again on one of the great Reformation truths a truth found in Scripture that had been buried and lost and recovered by the Protestant reformers. And Lord, what an incredible title You have given to us. What an incredible uh, standing and, and ministry that You have given to us as priests. And so Lord, make us mindful of our privileges and of our great opportunities for service. And may we live up to our high calling as a priesthood of believers. For we ask it in the name of our great high priest and mediator, Jesus Christ. Amen.